Greetings, brethren. Welcome to day number seven of the Feast of Tabernacles, 2023. And it's been a wonderful feast, and we know that the Feast of Tabernacles is seven days long, but we also know that there's one more day, and that's the last great day. So tomorrow, you come back and we'll find out what the last great day is all about and how this will be one of the greatest days, one of the greatest times in the whole history of mankind. Now, in the Bible, we find this, and Jesus exemplified it in Revelation, the first chapter. He says, I'm the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. Now, within the things that God does and within the feast that God gives us, there's a beginning and an ending. And whenever there's an ending, as we will see tomorrow, there's a new beginning. And then, what is it going to be like, the new beginning, in the rest of the universe? So, brethren, please see and understand that God has called us to the greatest calling that could possibly ever be. And all of the saints and all of the patriarchs and all of those prophets of God, everything is going to happen as God said. Because God is true, God is righteous, he has the power to make it happen, and heaven and earth are not going to pass away because his word is going to be fulfilled. Every bit of it. So let's come to Jeremiah chapter 31, and let's begin in verse 31. And this will be kind of a review of the millennium overall. He said, verse 31, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay. And he says, verse 32, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke. Now know this. God has never broken a covenant. Because if he would, that would be sin, and his word would not be true. And in order to establish the new covenant with the church, and hence again the new covenant with the children of Israel, the Creator God himself Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, died for the sins of the whole world, past and present and future. So this covenant that he's going to make with them is going to be a covenant of eternal life. Verse 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Now listen carefully, because this is the whole essence 
of conversion. This is why the Protestants know nothing about true conversion. Here it is. I will put my law, that means every bit of his law, in their inward parts and write them in their hearts. Now, you can put in your margin there, Hebrews 10, 16, that God, with his spirit, is going to do that. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And what's going to happen? Because all of the saints will be there as resurrected sons and daughters of God to teach the people. So notice this next verse, verse 34. And they shall no more teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all, I'll circle that. That means each and every one. All know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. says the Lord, and I will forgive. That has to be through the sacrifice of Christ. Their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And it says in Psalm 103 that he removes our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. Verse 35, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea when its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, now how much of a guarantee can you get? See, No, here it is. They will not depart from God, says the Lord. The seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord. If the heavens above can be measured, no, and they're finding out with all these telescopes, they can't measure it. With the best telescope ever. They reach out way far beyond what they did with the Hubble telescope, that is the Jack Webb telescope. And in a lot of the areas that the Hubble telescope showed up as black areas, nothing there, all of a sudden, this with this new Jack Webb telescope, boom! There are millions more stars and galaxies. So how great is God? How great is eternity? Now think about this. God says he inhabits eternity, and he wants to give to us today. If we're faithful, then at the resurrection, eternal life. Now then, 
He wants to bring back all of Israel and give them an opportunity for salvation and an opportunity for eternal life. So this is really a great thing that God is doing, and this is all pictured through the all the feast days of God, all the process for it. If those ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth below can be searched out, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord of hosts. So what he's saying is in spite of all of their sins because of my promise to Abraham, I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to provide a way so they can repent. And I'm going to provide a way so they can have eternal life. Now that's a fantastic thing to comprehend, all right? So we see that's what God's going to do. Let's look at it in the book of Zechariah. Now the book of Zechariah is quite interesting because it contains in it the return of the children of Israel from Babylon, that is mainly the Jews, and it also contains in it things concerning the millennium and things concerning the end-time prophecies. Okay, so let's come here to, to Zechariah chapter 8, and let's see what God says. Let's pick it up here in verse 7. Zechariah 8 and verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people. Now notice what he says. From the east country and from the west country. Now, what does that mean? That means from the area of, of the Holy Land going east. Now, we don't know how far that will go, but it may go clear into China and to the west. Now, don't know where that is going to end either, okay? And from the west country, and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, only those who are converted are actually going to be at Jerusalem. So this is a prophecy that applies to their return from Babylon as well as into the millennium, see. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Notice how he is going to be their God in truth and righteousness. Remember what we covered for the past three days? Judge righteous judgment. And by the way, be sure and write for the booklet, Judge Righteous Judgment. This you will find will help you in many, many ways. And what God wants us to learn right now is to have our minds with his laws and commandments and his word written in our minds and in our heart, that we become converted. And this is the most important thing, that that conversion is faithful unto the end and we attain to the resurrection 
so we can be the teachers and the judges and those who serve all of those during the millennium, all of Israel, all the countries in the world. So that's quite a thing that God is doing with us in truth and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, that in the day the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts is laid, the temple is to be built. Now that's talking about the second temple, but also, as we pointed out at the beginning of the millennium, God is going to have a big tabernacle right over Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. So we can apply that here. That's why Zechariah is a little difficult to understand because many of these prophecies then are dual. Verse 12, they shall sow their seed in peace. Now, no more war. We'll review that in just a little bit. But what is that going to be like? The blessing of God, the removal of the thorns and thistles, and the rejuvenation of the earth and the soil and everything in it to produce. And we will do it according to the seven-year land Sabbath and the 50-year jubilee. And this not only will give good crops, it will give food all the time. Plus, it will bring economic stability such as never has been in the history of the world, where we read there in Isaiah 60 that gold and silver are going to be voluminous at that time. So what God is going to do, and his word is in truth and righteousness, as we just read, is going to be astounding, even for us who understand the truth. Okay? Verse 12 again, They shall sow in peace, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its increase, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of my people to possess all these things. Boy, that's quite a thing indeed. All of these promises that God has given, okay? Now, let's continue on, verse 13. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel. So I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, but let your hands be strong. Now, that also applies to spiritual Israel, which is the church, in helping bring all of these things to pass during the millennium. Verse 17, and let no one imagine evil in your heart against his neighbor. No, because we know that he's going to give all the people at that time a heart of flesh 
and a mind receptive to the will of God. So that's going to cut down on the sin and the carnality all during the millennium, okay? And do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. So, what is that going to be like? I cannot imagine a time, well, I yearn for it, and I know you do, a time where everyone is truthful, is honest, is serving the Lord, is doing the will of God. Think of what that's going to be like, okay? And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, okay? Then he talks about the fast that they used to have. He's not going to uh, recognize those at all anymore except the day of atonement, of course. Let's pick it up here in verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and inhabitants of many cities, and the residents of one shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to pray before the face of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Okay. Now notice how this is going to be. Think of the world today with all the troubles and and strife and wars and famine and everything just like Jesus prophesied there in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. It's happening right before our eyes right now. But notice what it's going to be after that, okay? Not only for the children of Israel, but read this, verse 22. And many people and strong nations shall Come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the face of the Lord. And that means that people will be able to come to where that tabernacle is, and that will be like a pilgrimage where they can pray and pray directly to God. Christ will be there. The apostles will be there. The patriarchs will be there. The prophets will be there. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men out of all languages of nations shall take hold and shall seize the skirt of a man, a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Quite an amazing thing. Now, think how that is going to be, see. All right. Now, let's continue on. Let's review this in Micah, the fourth chapter, because this tells us that everything is going to be so much more better. Okay? Micah 4. Now, we've covered this before, just a few pages back from Zechariah. So he says here, Micah 4 it shall. It doesn't mean it may. It means it shall be in the last days 
that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. Now, not only that, all people can't come at all times, but there will always be, always be, from every nation, the representative there that God chooses to represent that nation to be there in Jerusalem, and that's probably some out of the first resurrection, to represent every single nation before God every single day. And then that goes back to the nations where they're located so that they can grow in grace and knowledge and overcome and live according to God's laws and the blessings of God will come flowing to all of them. Okay? Now, verse 2. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord into the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And that's what's going to happen all during the millennium, and we'll be the ones teaching them. See? And we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion automatically, all the time, the law of God to the whole earth, to the, all the nations, to all the people, okay? And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among many people, and he will judge how? With righteous judgment. Boy, that's going to be something, see. And will rebuke strong nations afar off. Now, we're going to see that in a little bit when we understand the mystery of Gog and Magog. And God is going to have to deal with them in a very powerful and very special way because they will be the last nations to come under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God when the millennium begins. Now let's continue here. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And that starts with the toys that children play with. Okay? But here's what it will be. But they shall sit each man under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Okay? So all of these things. Now, just think of the blessing, brethren, that we have, that we understand it through the Sabbath and the Passover and the holy days. 
Now, if you don't have our big, thick book, God's plan for mankind, revealed by his Sabbath and holy days, and it's a big, thick, expanded book so that you can really have be grounded in the full knowledge of all of the things of God that he reveals through his Sabbath and holy days. Okay? Now, let's come to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. All right? Now, chapter 20 is a very interesting chapter. Now, now there are only two chapters left in Revelation 21 and 22. And yet, Revelation 20 covers a time span of over a thousand years plus a hundred. So, right at 1,100 years altogether. And in just a couple of little verses, and in the case of one of the most fantastic things to happen, in one short little phrase. And we will come back again to that tomorrow. But let's come to Revelation 20. And we've already covered this. Satan is put away, locked up in the abyss, and that means all the demons with him. And we find something very significant here. So let's read that. Because day seven pictures the end of the millennium or the thousand years. And Satan is going to be used again. And we'll find out all of the facts of that, the best we can put together. So let's read verse 3. And he, that is the angel, cast him, that is Satan, into the abyss and locked him up and sealed the abyss over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were fulfilled. And after that, it is ordained that he be loosed for a short time. Now, why would God do that? Okay. That's quite interesting indeed. Okay. Let's come down here. Revelation 20 to verse 7. So let's see this, and then we'll go back, and we will see two occurrences of this. Revelation 20 and verse 7. Now when a thousand years have been completed, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And he shall go out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, of whom the number is as the sand of the sea to gather them to war. And then notice what happens here. Okay. Why Gog and Magog? 
Okay? Because Gog and Magog were the last nations to come under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God during the millennium. And actually, after the millennium begins, approximately seven years after, Gog and Magog comes to make war against the children of Israel in the promised land. Now, remember the promised land runs from the Euphrates River, and how far north, we don't know, clear down to the Nile River. And then the promise given to Abraham that he would inherit the whole earth to the various nations where we see them today. Okay? So let's see about Gog and Magog. Because if Gog and Magog in verse 8 refers to the people of Gog and Magog, and they are not given an opportunity for salvation, which we will see when we come to Ezekiel 39 that they will be, then this has got to mean the geographical area of Gog and Magog, a certain geographical area in Gog and Magog. Now, why would that be there? that there will be those during the millennium that even though they live a hundred years, if they don't repent, and then if they don't repent when they're given another opportunity to repent in what we could call the repentance centers, then they are exiled further away completely. So we can conclude that Gog and Magog, an area of Gog and Magog, all during the millennium will be reserved for the unrepentant so they can live out the rest of their life and die their first death there, and then they will be resurrected to be thrown into the lake of fire, because permanent death is the second death. That's called eternal death. No resurrection from that, and that has to be administered. But Gog and Magog, as we will see, we'll take a break here in a little bit, they're the ones who set the precedent of not repenting when God offers it to them. And like we just read in Malachi, he is going to judge them and he is going to make them put away all their weapons and all their thoughts of war for the rest of the millennium. But there will be that geographical area which will be the area of final exile, as we have seen the way that God operates when people sin. So let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back.
and we will come to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 and look at the mystery of Gog and Magog. Okay, well now let's continue with the mystery of Gog and Magog. Let's come to Ezekiel chapter 38. And we're going to look at what's in chapter 38 and chapter 39. Okay, so that we get the flow of events, and this is after the millennium begins, which then ties in where God is going to have to judge strong nations afar off, and isn't the Orient far off from Jerusalem? Yes, it is. So let's read what they're going to do. And this will help understand why in Revelation we have the mention of Gog and Magog. Okay. Let's begin right here in verse 1, Ezekiel 38. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief ruler of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. See? And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the chief ruler of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you back and put my hooks in your jaw, and I will bring you and all your army, horses and horsemen, and all of them clothed most gorgeously, a great assembly with buckler and shield and all of them swordsmen. Then it says, and Persia and Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomar and all of his bands, the house of Togarma, from the uttermost parts of the north, and all his bands and many people with you. So he says, now here's what's going to happen. Okay. So this includes part of Russia, all of the Orient, and the nations where it says in Persia, that's Iran today, okay? Ethiopia and Libya, all right? So he says, verse 7, Be prepared, yea, prepare for yourself, you and all your assembly that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter years, you shall come into the land restored from war. So this is after the millennium begins. Okay. And the many years is about seven years. Okay. The land restored from war gathered out of many people on the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but she has been brought out of the nations, and they shall dwell securely 
all of them. So this tells us this is after the millennium began. And you shall go up, coming like a storm. You shall be like a cloud to cover the land, you and all your bands and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, it shall be in that day that things shall come into your heart and you shall devise an evil plan. Notice what that plan is. And you shall say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to those who are at rest. The millennium has started. Israel is back there, okay? Who dwell securely. All of them dwelling without walls, nor fortifications, no standing army, no weapons, just a perfect thing to attack because they're all helpless. But they forget God is the greatest warrior of all. And he will take care of them. Without walls and no bars nor gates to them in order to take spoil and to steal a prize, to turn your hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations who have gotten cattle and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Okay, then it lists some more that will be with him. So this is going to be quite a thing that's going to take place. All right, now let's pick it up here. In verse 14, and let's see what happens, okay? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, and that means all of the people with him and everything. Thus says the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell securely, again, another reference to the millennium, okay? So this has to be right at the beginning of the millennium. Shall you not know of it? And you shall come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. And you shall come upon my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, right at the beginning of the millennium, okay? And I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So this is going to be the final War, which is going to bring all nations to the understanding that they are going to have to submit to God's way and the kingdom of God and the rule of the kingdom of God in the saints. Okay. Verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, 
Are you he who I, I have spoken of in former days by the hand of my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in these days for many years that I would bring you against them? So all during that time, everybody's that are there going to know that Gog and Magog and the nations are coming. And it shall come to pass in the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, my hot anger will be aroused. So they're going to learn a lesson. You can never win fighting against God. See? And another lesson for all the physical children of Israel. When God is there for you, you don't have to worry. God is going to take care of it. And this is going to be a great and lasting demonstration of the power of God, which will go right through the whole millennium. Now, verse 19. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath... I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great quaking in the land of Israel. Okay. Now that's going to be something. And notice, it's going to affect everything. Fish of the sea, birds of heaven, the beasts of the field, the creeping things, and so forth, will quake at my presence, verse 20. And the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground, okay? And I will call for a sword against him upon my mountain, says the Lord God. Each man's sword shall be against his brother. Now, how is God going to win this victory? By his power. But also, also remember, there are other instances in the Bible where God has the enemy turn on itself and kill each other so that Israel wouldn't have to fight. Well, that's what he's doing here, okay? Each man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will judge him with pestilence and blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his swords and upon many people with him, an overflowing shower, and a great hail, fire, and brimstone. Now, how is any army going to survive that? Remember what happened? The last war to begin the reign of Christ when the saints come with Christ to the earth? Boom! The whole army is wiped out. Okay? Like Zechariah 14 says, their flesh just falls right off their skeleton. Okay? Now, how's that for a weapon? I mean, you think about it. You can have the greatest army possible. They can be trained to do so many things. They can be skilled with the sword, with the spear, or with whatever other weapon that they have. But yet, how are you going to resist the fire of God, the power of God, the pestilence of God. They won't. And then, 
Same thing like with Armageddon. Great hail. No way to get away from that. Okay. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will have myself known in the eyes of many nations. So all the nations of the world are going to hear of this. And what will that do? That will forever put down for the rest of the millennium internal war and conflict. Okay? And they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, you pay attention to that phrase because we're going to hear that again repeated in chapter 39. Okay? They shall know that I am the Lord. That means they will come to repentance and they will come to the point of loathing themselves and repenting. Okay? Now, that's why God is going to do this. This is going to be an example that is going to be known all through the millennium. And that is why that there's going to be a section of Gog and Magog reserved for the final exile for those who do not repent so that they will live out their lives and be buried there so that they are resurrected to face the lake of fire. Okay, so let's pick it up here. Chapter 39. Let's begin in verse 1. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you. Now think of that. When God says he's against you, you better, you better repent, but you see, they won't. O Gog, chief ruler of Meshach and Tubal, I will turn you about and lead you on. I will bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north. I will bring you against the mountains of Israel. And I will strike your bow out of your left hand and will cause your arrows to fall out of your right hand, and you shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your bands and the people with you, and I will give you for food to the birds of prey of every kind and to the beast of the field. Just like he did back there in Revelation 20. Well, we all come off the sea of glass and descend to the earth. Okay. And you shall fall upon the face of the open field, for I have spoken it, says the Lord. And I will send a fire on Gog and those who dwell in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. Now that means... They're going to understand they can't fight against God and they better repent whoever makes it through there without being killed, okay? 
and I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Okay. So this is also going to have an effect on Israel. They're going to see, ooh, look at what God did. Boy, he really fought against the enemy, didn't he? And he sent the fire and the brimstone and the hail and the rain and all of that together. Okay? And here we were, ready to be attacked, and we looked out there and saw how God handled it. So what is that going to do to Israel? That's going to help them love God even more. That's going to help them understand that they need to always keep his commandments and do what is right and don't go back to the idols that they had before the millennium. Okay? They shall know that I am the Lord. Now, verse 7, And I will make my holy name known in the midst of Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore, then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Okay? Then it talks about how they had to go out and clean up all the remaining mess after all the flesh has been devoured. Now let's come here to verse 17. All right? And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to the birds of every kind and every beast of the field. Gather yourselves and come. Gather yourselves from all around to my sacrifice, that I sacrifice for you, a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, so that you may eat flesh and drink blood. A repeat of what happens when the saints come to the earth. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, lambs, goats, bulls, and all kinds of fatlings of Bashan, and you, that is, all the birds, all the animals, verse 19, shall eat fat until you are full, and drink blood until you are drunk of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Okay? That's quite a thing. Notice how God describes it here. Verse 20. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, all men of war, says the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations. Now, that's to fully establish the complete authority of God and the rule of the saints in the whole world, from east to west, from north to south. I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgments, which I have exercised, and my hand that I have laid upon them, so the house of Israel shall know. See. So what this does, this takes those children of Israel who were there in peace and everything, 
And God protected them. God fought for them. God saved them from this. They will know. They will know of God more than they ever have. So this is going to be quite a thing. Okay. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the nation shall know that the house of Israel was exiled for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. Okay? And then he shows, back here, verse 25, he will bring them back. He will have mercy. And so this is a great and tremendous thing that's going to happen. Then he's going to set them. Now let's go read this again in Isaiah 65. Then they're going to come, and all during the millennium it will be this way. Okay? Isaiah 65. Okay? So you see, I guess you can say it this way. Israel being stiff-necked and rebellious and hard-hearted are going to be converted and totally convinced that God is God. And they're not going to go their own ways. And all of the resurrected saints will be there to teach them, to help them. And if they start going the way that they shouldn't go, will tell them, ah, 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 here is the way, walk in it. So they will have a chance to repent. Now, let's come to verse 17, Isaiah 65, where God says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and that's what he does because the whole earth will be so upside down and backward at the beginning of the millennium. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem and rejoicing and my people a joy. And I will joy in Jerusalem. I will joy in my people. And the voice of weeping will no more be heard in her nor the voice of crying. Now, here's how it's going to be for a thousand years. Okay? There will not be an infant who lives but a few days. And think about taking away the curse of Eve from all women in bearing children. It will be totally different. And think how great that is going to be. Everyone knowing that all of the children are going to be safe. All of the children are going to be loved. All of the children are going to be taught the way of God. And they are going to be given the most fantastic education possible. All the laws and commandments of God, they'll be taught all about why they're here, what they're going to do, 
and no more child sacrifice, no more child pedophilia, no more child trafficking like we have today. See? Yes. Now, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. Okay. Now, how long will that be? See, we'll see here in just a minute. It's going to be long enough so that God is sure of what you believe and what you're going to do and how it's going to be for those people coming into the kingdom of God during the millennium. For the child will die a hundred years old. But the sinner who is a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, what does accursed mean? means waiting the second resurrection to be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? So that means anyone who is unrepentant and exiled out to Gog and Magog, they're going to die there, they're going to be buried there, and then when they're resurrected, they're going to face the lake of fire, okay? Now, that will happen all during millennium. We know from the New Testament. We know this. See? Let's see what Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's see what's going to happen to the saints who are still alive when Christ returns. And they're, they don't have time to die or be put into the grave, correct? All right. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, he makes it very clear. Okay. Now, as we're coming to 1 Corinthians 15, let's understand this. That. He also wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, that when Christ returns with the sound of the trumpet, with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall be raised first. Then we who are alive shall be caught up into the air to meet him in the clouds. Okay. Now what's going to happen? Now Paul answers the rest of this question here. Okay. Let's pick it up in verse 47. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 47. So we know what's going to happen to those who are righteous. Okay. We already have seen what's going to happen to those who don't repent and are sent off into exile and die. Now then, those who are alive and live 100 years What's going to happen to them? They're not going to die and be put in the grave. They're going to be changed instantly from flesh to spirit. Just like we will read here in 1 Corinthians 15. See? If they're righteous, what need is there for them to die? But in order to be transformed from flesh to spirit, there has to be boom an instantaneous death and transformation to spirit. 
because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So that has to be. Okay? So let's read it here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pick it up here in verse 44. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. That's why we're made in the image and likeness of God. Okay. According as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became an ever-living spirit. However, the spiritual was not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the one made of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And is the heavenly one, so also are all those who are heavenly. Okay? And as we have borne the image of the one made of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. So he says in verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right? So that shows that those who are righteous during the millennium and live a hundred years and are righteous, that they will be changed. No need to bury them, but their death will be instantaneous from flesh to spirit. Okay? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all fall asleep, that is, be buried and put in the grave. But we shall all be changed. Okay? In an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. No, that's the first resurrection here, of course. But then, during the millennium, there will be no need for a resurrection because it will be a transformation from flesh to spirit. Okay? Be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Now, I've often thought about this. When will they be changed? I wonder if it could be on Pentecost every year, those who are ready for the kingdom of God will be transformed from flesh to spirit being a hundred years old, and enter in to the spiritual nation of God. Okay? Now notice, the whole purpose of our corruptible body is this. Verse 53, 
for this corruptible must put on incorruptibility and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruptibility and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Yes, indeed. So, that gives us a guideline what's going to happen during the millennium. All right? Let's come to see what's going to happen in Revelation 20. All right? So let's finish this day seven in Revelation 20 with the last war at the end of the millennium. Okay? Let's pick it up here. This is why Satan is reserved for this time. And then we will see that after this war is accomplished, Satan and the demons will be judged. And they will receive their sentence. Okay? So let's read it. Verse 7. Now when a thousand years have been completed, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, of whom the number is as the sand of the sea, to gather them together for war. So that's that exiled area of Gog and Magog where the sinners are who are from all nations. Now, we don't know how many during the millennium are going to commit the unpardonable sin so that they're exiled to Gog and Magog and live out their life for a hundred years or shorter, however it may work out when they're exiled for committing the unpardonable sin, and then they will be buried. Now then, at the end of the millennium, there's going to be a great multitude who have not died. And of course, all have to die that are incorrigible wicked. They have to die the first death as well as the second death. So at the end of the millennium, how are you going to accomplish getting rid of all of these sinners? You send Satan out to gather them together for battle, and then this happens to them all. Okay? Verse 9. Then I saw them go upon the breadth of the earth and encircle the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and consumed them. Boom! Now notice, it didn't consume the devil. Because the devil and the demons are spirit beings and cannot die. So God has the punishment for them, which begins at the end of the millennium before the great white throne judgment takes place. 
because Satan has to be completely removed. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet had been cast. Now that was at the beginning of the millennium. And they, now this is interesting, because the they doesn't refer to the beast and the false prophet and Satan, but it refers to Satan and the demons. Because the beast and the false prophet committed the unpardonable sin, and they await the second resurrection to once again be cast into the lake of fire. Okay? But Satan and the demons will be tormented day and night into the ages of eternity, not by the, the fire alone as we will see, because that fire that's going to take place here is not going to consume the whole earth. Now, we'll talk about that tomorrow with the last great day, okay? So where are Satan and the demons going to be tormented after they're in the lake of fire and that punishment is finished and they are completely removed forever and they do not die, okay? We will see that because verse 11 talks about the great white throne judgment. So Satan's punishment and the demon's punishment is going to be completed before the great white throne judgment of the last great day. Now we find this in the book of Jude. Okay? So let's read it. And we will see. Book of Jude. Very interesting. This is why we must carefully put the word of God together. A little here and a little there. Okay. Now then, let's come to verse 6. And the angels, verse 6. Now, angels become demons when they rebel, just like Lucifer who was the covering cherub, he became Satan the devil when he rebelled. Now, because they're created of spirit, they don't die. But it says they're going to be tormented forever. But the lake of fire is not going to be, tor be continuing forever. No. So Jude answers the question, what happens to them after they have been tormented by the lake of fire for however long that would be before the great white throne judgment begins? Okay. Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their original domain but deserted their habitation, he is holding in eternal bonds under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. And that is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Then he goes on showing how they influenced men in Sodom and Gomorrah and how they corrupted everything, okay? How it was with Cain, okay? 
Now then, let's pick it up here in verse 11. All right? Verse 11. Woe to them, now it's talking about human beings, but are led by demon spirits. For they have walked in the way of Cain for gain. They have wholly given themselves up to Balaam's delusion and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are subversive stains in your love feast. Now this is talking about those who come into the church and who do not repent, and who do commit the unpardonable sin. Feasting in person together with you, fearlessly they are feeding themselves. They are like clouds without water. Now this then begins to get into the final punishment of the demons, because their sin is caused by the demons. Okay? They are clouds without water, driven by the wind, trees of late autumn, without any fruit, uprooted, twice dead. Okay? Now then, those are all the humans that the satanic powers and demons used against men. Okay? Now then, notice verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, casting up like foam their ignominious shame. Now notice the next phrase. Wandering star. Okay? What did Satan take with him? A third of the stars of heaven, or a third of the stars of of God, which are angels, wandering stars. These are the demons in Satan. Okay? Wandering stars for whom has been reserved the blackest darkness forever. So this tells us the final punishment of Satan, the devil, and the demons after the lake of fire in Revelation 20, is a complete exile to somewhere where in the universe where it is completely dark, black, locked in. They cannot get out. There is no way out but blackness and darkness for torment forever. Now, why would God do that? Okay? He does it because that will be a perpetual witness and warning for all of us who are in the kingdom of God that only God's way is the true way and that there will be no rebellion. There will be no war. There will be no contrary things against God and his people, and against New Jerusalem that we will see about tomorrow, see? That will be a perpetual witness. So this is going to be quite a thing. So you see the plan of God and everything that he is doing and how he's going to bring it all about 
is so great and so tremendous. See? But all of this is in preparation for the great white throne judgment. So you come back tomorrow, the last day, the end of the feast, and learn the finality of God's plan. See you tomorrow.